0: You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh.
1: Welcome. I am excited about our two-part series that we are conducting this week and next week because Jesus has been such a controversial controversial figure in our time for so long and also such a prominent force in our time and for much time to come. The hidden life of Yeshua ben Joseph, better known to us as Jesus Christ, may be among the greatest mysteries of all time. Certainly over the past 2,000 years, there has been no more beloved or controversial figure, yet no teacher's words of peace and brotherhood have ever been more misused to create division, war, and persecution. Today it is time for a larger perspective on Jesus, one that is inclusive and loving, not exclusive and territorial, one that honors the Prince of Peace for who he truly was, not our dualistic version of who we've been told he was. A lifetime of research has convinced Trisha McCannon that Jesus' birth, life, teachings, and death were all part of a larger plan set in motion long ago by a divine intelligence in answer to the calls of a suffering world. My guest today is Trisha McCannon with TriciaMcCannonSpeaks.com. She is a renowned American clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has traveled the world in search of answers to the greatest mysteries of the ages. As a dedicated researcher and mystical Symbolist in many ancient paths of wisdom, she is known as the mysteries expert. I'd like to welcome Tricia McCannon to 1111 Talk Radio. Hi, Simran. What a pleasure it is to be with you and our listeners out there. I'm so excited to have you here, and it's 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 kind of a mystery and a synchronicity as to how we became connected, and I, I'm thrilled to have read this book and to be able to to do this two-part series, which in itself I don't think is enough to cover the depth of this book that you've created. It's got so much valuable information, so much information that people probably have never even realized about Jesus.
2: You know, I, I've been hearing that from all around the country as people have called in from radio shows and As you know, the book's only been out there, you know, gosh, a few weeks. And we've gotten calls from everywhere from Australia to Alaska, Vancouver to California. And uh, that's been the thing that people have said is, thank God someone finally wrote this book. Uh, You know, they've always, so many of our listeners really love Jesus, and they've, you know, grown up in a Judeo-Christian society, many of us. And yet I think a lot of us have sensed all along that there was a deeper uh, meaning to the story than what we were being told in traditional Judeo-Christian circles. But it was very difficult sometimes to figure
1: out what that deeper meaning was. Well, and there's I... no doubt that Jesus is beloved by Christians and by others. He, he is an incredibly impactful figure uh, that has touched hearts and minds and worlds you know, for all time. But unfortunately, I think we as human beings sometimes think we know and we really don't know, even if, if we've read the Bible, even if we've uh, you know gone to church every single Sunday and listened to the preacher, do we really know who this man was or what this master came to bring to us? Well, in truth, uh, as
2: you can tell from having read the book, there are levels upon levels upon levels of Jesus. First thing most people don't know is that the word Jesus is the Greek rendering of the word Yeshua and that actually, although Jesus may have been named Yeshua in many, many, many of his travels, he chose himself to go by the name Issa, which is spelled I-S-A or I-S-S-A. In fact, the Egyptian Coptic uh, Christian Church uh, called him St. Issa, E-S-S-A. And as we travel around the world, as I've documented in my book, Jesus The Explosive Story of the Thirty Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions, a very long title, um, throughout the Celtic Isles. He was known as Issa. There are many, many place names with that. In India, he was known as Saint Issa. And um, there are even Upanishads that are called the Issa Upanishads. And uh, just a couple of days ago, I was doing a television recording, and the cameraman came up to me and said, in the Quran, it talks about um, the profundity of Lord Issa. So this is something most traditional Christians don't know about. And I remember when I first discovered it uh, in my research that um, I also found a book that talked about one of the most ancient hidden names for Brahma, or the aspect of God that is the creator God, the Lord of light. And that was Issa, Ra, Anima, uh, Anima Hedetu, which is to say Issa, firstborn son, Ra, of light, Anima, that animates, Hedatu is um, probably very close to uh, Heru uh, in the Egyptian, which is an ancient name for Horus, or the, or the principle of truth. So it would be the firstborn Lord of Light that animates the truth. So I found that to be extremely profound.
1: That is extremely profound. And I think part of what people would want to know is how you came to doing this research, how this book came about, what led you to write this book.
2: Well, gosh, Simon, that's a uh, you know a long story. Uh, let me say this: um, I'm I've been clairvoyant since I was a little girl. Uh, I grew up in the Atlanta area. My dad was a lawyer. My family is very conservative Christian family. In fact, uh, I have a brother-in-law that's a, a fundamentalist preacher and a sister that's in that. And then some of my family's evangelical, and my mom is actually a, a very beautiful mystical Christian who does laying on of hands and speaking in tongues, and so. You know, believe me. You know, I come out of that tradition, but because I always had this deeper clairvoyant gift, and I grew up across from a great forest, I um, I found that I could see the fairies in the forest, and I could see the divas, and, and after a while, this larger angel appeared and said, "Well, you know, the divas have told me that, you know, that they can, you can see us." And, of course, apparently most people can't see the little divas, which are sort of like the guardian angels for the plant kingdom. And so I said, yes, well, you know, what's the story? And he said, well, you know, know, every living being that comes to the planet has some kind of a guardian angel or a guardian spirit. And so growing up, I, I think that nature is a very, very powerful teacher, And for me, it was a means to begin to communicate with the angelic realms and um, the masters. And when I was about 19 years old, after doing a great deal of praying growing up that someone wiser than myself would appear, um, I had these incredible masters appear to me. They were called the Viragi, and that's a term that in Sanskrit means um, detachment, virag, or truth and these masters taught something called the ancient art of soul travel which is the ability that each of us have inherent within us as divine immortal souls or sparks of god to be able to travel outside the body while we're still living here and begin to explore the multidimensional nature of reality and i chronicle a lot of this in my first book that i wrote dialogues with the angels and i understand actually It's a little hard to get on Amazon these days because we're down to our last hundred copies, but it's going into reprint, and you can still get that book as well as the Jesus book through my website, um, www.trishamccannonspeaks.com. But this whole legacy of of the Masters really, you know, I think it set me on this quest to know for myself. I didn't want to just take someone else's word for it. I really wanted to experience and have the answers firsthand and so I've been someone who has always believed that that's possible for each one of us if we open our minds and hearts at a large enough level
1: and I know that in the introduction of your book Jesus the explosive story of the 30 lost years in ancient mystery religions you go into the story that you were actually working on some other material and never had intended to write this book, that this this book, in a sense, uh, you were, were given the instruction or the request to write this book.
2: Indeed. Actually, I had come off of the road. I, I travel and teach and speak all over the world, and I had come off the road to write a book about this very critical point in time that we all know that we're approaching, uh, this uh, 2012, or whether it's 2013 or 2017, but these profound world changes in consciousness and what they really mean. And as someone who is a mysteries expert or, um, let us say, trained in many of the profound esoteric teachings of the past, this was the focus of the book I was working on. And um, I had decided to put three little chapters in this new book on Jesus. And one of them was about uh, the change of the ages and why he came 2,000 years ago between the age of Aries and the age of Pisces. And come to find out, of course, in my research, this is one of the things that these profound solar lords do do, is they come um, between one astrological, one 2160-year astrological age and another, and of course... We all notice that we're coming to the end of Pisces and the beginning of Aquarius. So, you know, it's quite possible that that Jesus or one of these Lords may be coming back. And um, this, I was in the middle of writing this book um, and three little chapters on Jesus. And as I wrote it, I would think, gosh, I bet people don't know this about Jesus. I bet they don't know he was here or he was there. And before I knew it, I had 200 pages inside of this larger book about uh, Jesus, or Issa. And about that point, I realized, gosh, this is getting entirely too long, and the book seems to have a life of its own, and uh, what should I do? Maybe I'll just pull the whole part out about Jesus and put it aside. And um, it was about that moment that I had that profound encounter where Jesus appeared and asked me if I would write this book.
1: And I'd like to hold the rest of that story to our next segment because it is very powerful to know that Jesus can appear to us, uh, to, to any one of us, and I'd love for people to know why he appeared to you. I am with Tricia McCannon, the renowned American clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has traveled the world in search of answers to the greatest mysteries of the ages. She has authored her latest book, Jesus, the Explosive Story of the Thirty Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions and she's coming to us for the next two weeks to help discuss so much of this information that has been hidden or lost over time. You can contact her at trishamccannonspeaks.com, and you'll find out that there are a lot of wonderful things that you can access, many of her other books, CDs, DVDs, in addition to a mystery school, private sessions, and many other things. So definitely visit trishamcannonspeaks.com. We'll be right back with Trisha McCannon.
0: Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond.
1: Seventh Wave Network.
0: Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. Discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. 1111 magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
3: Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product. Let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network
0: listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh.
1: Where was Jesus for the first 30 years of his life? Where and what was he taught? Who were his teachers? Based on new information culled from the hard-to-find Vatican texts, theosophical classics, legends, and hermetic symbolism, Tricia McCannon constructs a radical new picture of Jesus and his times. She asserts that Jesus spent at least seven years in Egypt, a number of years in England, and visited both India and Tibet before beginning his public ministry in Palestine. Her new book, *Jesus: The Lost Years*, uh, excuse me, *Jesus: The Explosive Story* and *The Thirty Lost Years of the Ancient Mystery Religions* is now available, and you can get that from her website, TriciaMcKannanSpeaks.com, or you can go to any of the the book resources like Amazon.com and others, and definitely access that. Trisha, we were speaking about how this book came about, and we closed out the last segment with Jesus appearing to you and uh, requesting that what you had already written or material that needed to come forth come forth. And I think part of part of the request was to end a lot of the misunderstanding that had caused such. Uh, war and bloodshed and argument and disagreement in his name he wants that cleared up
2: i think you're totally right simran that is really at the heart of course of his message all along you know when he says judge not least you be judged and do unto others as you would want them to do unto you uh, you know many times we as christians completely forget to actually take that to heart we're so busy proselytizing or you know, doing the whole, you know, I'm right and everyone else is wrong number, that we really forget to heed those core concepts that he was trying to transmit. Um, Well, if you'd like, I will pick up my story. Would you like me to do that? Yeah, I would love for you to. Well, I'll actually tell you a little bit that's not included in the book that was a prelude to that visit where he asked me to write the book. You know, I think like a lot of people, I have always hoped that Jesus would appear to me, and, you know, I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church, and, you know, I, I am a seer, I am a clairvoyant, I've had profound masters and angels visiting me and teaching me for many years, but I never saw Jesus, and, you know, that was a little, you know, disappointing, but I figured, hey, you know, he was busy with bigger fish to fry, or maybe he figured, you know, I was I was taking care of with the masters that I, I already had teaching me, or... Maybe he was out of orbs. These were all my
1: theories.
2: (laughs) And um, so um, I had this encounter happen uh, just probably three years before I was asked to write the book. And I was at a big conference speaking in San Francisco, and I had gone to lunch with three clients that I had done uh, clairvoyant readings for. And... um, Uh, in the middle of this little uh, uh, San Francisco Bistro, the door to the restaurant opened, and I saw Jesus walk in. And I was just dumbfounded. I'm sure if you could have seen a picture of me, my little jaw was hanging down. And he came in and sat down at the table, and it was all clairvoyant. And these women didn't see him, of course, and they were chattering away about their wonderful readings. And I actually think one of those women had a very strong relationship with Jesus. And my theory is this is why I got on his grid finally. (laughs) But um, I was so dumbfounded, and the energy was so huge, Simran, it just opened my heart to this tremendous place. And I excused myself, and I went to the bathroom and locked the door. It was a little, you know, one-toilet affair. And Jesus was in the bathroom hovering over the terrazzo tile floor about a foot, And um, I got down on my knees and prayed, and I said, Listen, I don't know what you're doing here, but, you know, if you need some help or something, if there's something you need me to do, I'm happy to do it. And he never spoke. And for about, I don't know, five or six or seven minutes, he just radiated this powerful, powerful heart energy, and then it moved off. And I felt, you know, very altered, and I went out, and I... I think I said something to the ladies, and that's how I found out that one of the women had worked closely with Jesus for years, but I never knew what that meant. And, you know, after a few days, it's like, did I dream it? And But it was so strong, I I knew it was real. So here we were three years later, the winter, kind of that Christmas, uh, New Year's um, dark cave lull time, which I always use for writing, and I had been working on my new book, and I had laid down on the floor of my office to just take a little nap, and I had my hand over my eyes, and I became aware of this incredible radiant light coming uh, through. And I moved my hand and opened my eyes, and he was standing above me. And uh, without any preamble whatsoever, he said telepathically, I want you to write a book about my lost years and secret teachings. There has been enough war and bloodshed in my name.
1: Well, and for people that hear that whole story and the encounters that come, I've come across numerous people that have told me Jesus walked up to them right in the street. I, I do believe our masters have the ability to to literally come and meet with anyone they choose that they feel can support humanity in some sort of way. So it's not so far-fetched, except that we desire and say we have faith and belief, but do we often really believe that? And if Jesus were to walk <laughs> up to us, right. could we handle it? You know, a lot right. of us want to see him, but could we really handle it if it <laughs> happens? So it's only those people that truly could be prepared and not literally blow up, if it occurred, uh, that that can handle that sort of thing and that are able to take on such great tasks as you have been given to support humanity in maybe a new mindset, a new opening. Well, in I, the heart. I, must,
2: I must tell you, Simran, when it happened, when I got over the utter and complete shock, and once again, this huge heart opening, my response
1: was, well, can I finish this other book first? <laughs> That's what I found, I found extremely humorous, was that he literally <laughs> said to Jesus, I need to finish this other book first. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, you know, we're so we're so mortal, and we're so human, and so he smiled and he kinda of waved his hand like, Don't worry, it won't take but a moment and you know, I'll open every door because this needs to get out into the world and you know, then I thought, you know, how the little monkey mind I call it the monkey mind starts, Well, okay, how current can it be? I'll take those two hundred pages, you know, you start the little chat and you know, I'm sure I was very amusing to him because he followed my every thought while I was laying there working through my wait a minute, write a book on Jesus. Oh, my God, I'll be burned at the stake, you know. But I think that what has happened for me in the process of writing the book is it's been a very powerful initiation. Uh, And, in fact, one of my friends who's a master dowser said that there are 144 initiatic codes and keys that are downloaded into this book. And if the kind of responses we've been hearing from people around the country are any indication I would say that Jesus and the Masters are all over this. Um, we have had people call who've had spontaneous healings from reading the book. Uh, I just got a letter from a, an inmate on death row, who uh, you know wrote me this letter and uh, said, you know, he had done terrible things in his life and he'd never seen any sense in life. It never made sense, and he finally got down on his knees and prayed in jail <clears throat> and. That night, this blue and white angelic presence appeared in his jail cell. He heard me on the radio. He ordered the book and had read it three times, and he said he's totally turned his life over to God and wants to become a spiritual initiate. So that's wow. pretty powerful, isn't it?
1: It's it's extremely powerful, and we are at a time where, So much in the world seems to be falling apart and so many people are searching that it's naive of us to think that we're not being supported, that we don't have a greater force of light that is protective and loving and taking care of us. Something that we can trust and believe in is is sitting amongst us, with us, working with us. I am here today with Tricia McCannon, author of the wonderful new book, Jesus, the Explosive Story and the 30 Lost Years. And the ancient mystery religions, I urge you to get this book. It is beautifully written, it is very in depth, and there's so much knowledge that it has been put into this that, that truly opens up the mind and the heart to all that we don't know about Jesus and all that we don't know about the rest of the world and other masters and other peoples and how we truly are all one. Trisha McCannon is trained as an initiate of the many ancient streams of knowledge including mystical Christianity, Native American wisdom, the Shabda teachings of the Masters of the Far East and the Goddess teachings. She has led workshops in transformation for thousands around the world world and as a powerful past life clairvoyant and healer tricia has read for over 6000 people all over the world she's a metaphysical teacher and her insight and perspective brings shamanic mastery into simple accessible terms i urge you to connect with her at trishamccannonspeaks.com that's trishamccannonspeaks.com we'll be right back with a little bit more about jesus and these mystery years and lost years and how this story is so so explosive
3: For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success, with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network.
1: Trisha McCannon's latest book, Jesus, the Explosive Story of the Thirty Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions, explores how Jesus was connected with the Great White Brotherhood and the secret schools of initiation. It draws on records from the Vatican, Tibet, India, Israel, and Egypt. It references Greek, Aramaic, and Pali texts, and a book of wisdom brought by Britain's Joseph of Arimathea shortly after the crucifixion that contains accounts of Jesus and Joseph's meetings, with the Druids. There's so much information in this book, so much of what you may not have heard or read or been told about, so I urge you to connect with her at TriciaMcCannonSpeaks.com. Tricia, we were speaking about how Jesus had shown up for you and how this book came into being and how we truly are supported by many masters with all of the changing times and everything that's happening Uh, and and all of this talk about 2012 or whether it's later than 2012, that so much is supposed to occur. Why would Jesus be interested in us knowing about his past
2: now? Well, I think that one of the things that was true in his time that most of us don't really realize is that there were these great mystery schools uh, of wisdom that had been going for some four thousand years before jesus was born and continued for some four hundred years after the death and the and the resurrection and uh... most of us don't even know they existed because once the roman catholic church uh... began its campaign to not initially i think it was just to unite all the paths so that they had um, a political social religious uh, unity and the roman empire didn't fall apart but over time, it became you know, either our way or you will be destroyed. And so consequently, there were many precious records uh, of just the, the history of the planet that were completely wiped out, not to mention spiritual and religious records. And of course, some of these spiritual and religious records of Jesus' life have been coming to, to light since 1945 with the discovery of the Nag Hammadi text and 1947 with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And only in the last 20 years or so have some of these begun to be published. But we know just in this particular era, for example, or this subject matter, that there are some 50 or 60 uh, Gospels or books that um, are at least as early uh, in their dating as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that most of us know about in the New Testament, so that's just in terms of Jesus's life. If you look at a deeper historical context for this whole thing, though, you know when the um, Theodosian decrees were set out around oh, 0394 or so A.D. by the emperor, the Roman emperor Theodosius, it basically said close every temple conscript every place for the Christian religion, burn every book and every library. And this included the 700,000 books and scrolls in the Library of Alexandria, which was literally the, the New York City or the Paris or the London of its day. It was the metropolitan Mecca. And, of course, if you look at the location of Jerusalem, and Jesus you know, was born in that area, he was surrounded by the Greek mysteries to the to the north in the Mediterranean, the Aleutian mystery schools, the the uh Christ, the um Egyptian mysteries south, uh in Egypt where Moses had trained and where um you know, Joseph of the code of many colors had lived, uh where Abraham had been. Of course, he it's crazy to think that he would not especially being honored as the possible Messiah that uh his family and friends and loved ones uh, knew he might be for him to have not been trained by the Essenes, by the other members of the Great White Brotherhood, and have gone to these great mystery schools.
1: Now, before we get into some of these terms that people may not be familiar with, like the Great White Brotherhood or, um, or, or, or how mystery schools operate, why would people destroy this information or not want this information to get out. And there have even been movies which have illustrated, you know, the Vatican having a lot of stuff and keeping it hidden or different people, you know, trying to, to cover up that certain material is out there. What's the fear or what was the fear in letting this type of information out? Well, I mean,
2: it's clearly social, political, and economic controls through religion. And you know, in the name of religion, where a good person will not want to go to war um, because they have a happy life and, you know, their, their vegetables and potatoes are growing well, if you stir people for religious reasons, you know, you know you, even peaceful people will be willing to go to war. So religion often becomes the excuse. But in truth, it's usually about the social, political, financial control of resources. You know, we're going to invade this country because we want their resources. How can we justify this for the for the people? And I mean, we sort of see this for nine eleven. nine eleven became a justification for the invasion of you know it should have been what the taliban and, and Afghanistan. somehow we wound over over in Iraq getting the oil reserves for H- Saddam Hussein. So I mean, it all becomes very, very confusing, but if you realize that in most cases, that secular consciousness is about power, control, and money, and it has nothing to do with the real upliftment of the human consciousness or the enlightenment of other human beings, then, you know, you can pretty much figure out what's going on.
1: Well, and I shared with you in the in the May-June issue of 1111 Magazine, which is hitting stands in the next week, Uh, my personal article, which is always at the end of the magazine, I actually speak of this book and the synchronistic way in which it showed up in my life. And there was an encounter of a a woman that had uh, entered the 1111 Magazine offices really upset at at what is put out in 1111 Magazine, feeling that it was not Christian enough, that it was going against everything Jesus stood for, um, and that, that that was the only way. And there was this real distance or desire to not open to the fact that maybe all of the peoples of the world are one and that there are many different paths all leading to the same place and then all of a sudden when she left uh, because i do believe that we're all very connected and that all these paths lead to the same place and we simply are here to love respect and honor one another once she left the postman walked in and, and there was your book and and it's its actual back said what what the woman was not saying. She kept saying, well, do you think Jesus really went all over the world and learned from other people? Do you really think he was the type that would take information from other cultures or other masters or other people that existed? He was the one. Why would there be a fear that Jesus could have learned some things from others and also that he taught things to others? Why is that? Well I'm, I'm not sure I can exactly pinpoint an answer
2: to your, to your question, but i I will tell you I've contemplated this my whole life because of course, I don't have the fear. Um, what I will say is that that um, Jesus as a descendant from two royal households, the house of David and and within the Essenes, you know there were four groups, within the Essenes, the Nazarites or the Nazareans, were the uh, um, hereditary descendants of David. His historical role was to become trained in all of these traditions to synthesize and bring to his teachings a universality of wisdom and of knowledge. And in fact, this is one of the things you see when you do study these uh, other paths, if you are looking at more than a superficial level, which is what most of us have been trained to look. You know, minimizing. Oh yes, those wily pagans. Oh, that must be them. Oh, oh, those those crazy Egyptians that uh, um, worship people with God with uh, animal heads, or those crazy East Indian people that have all those weird, you know, gods. Don't they know that there's only one God? I mean, actually, if you look below the surface, every single one of these spiritual paths believes that there is one intelligent architect or creator, God or goddess or whatever we want to call it, uh, behind it all. But they also understand that the one exists in a multiplicity of forms and that it is in, let us say, admiring the multiplicity of the one that we gain glimpses into aspects of ourselves, archetypes, if you will, that live within us whether they're the artist or the warrior or the poet or the singer or the musician or the healer. And um, so, I mean, God, in its infinite expression, seeks to know itself in every form. And therefore, you know, as long as we remember that there is one behind the many, it all makes sense. So there is a golden thread that moves through all of these paths, and Jesus, of course, was a master initiate a master of masters this is one of the things historically that i discovered is that of these many chapters of the great white brotherhood and the mysteries over five of these orders had prophesied his coming for over five hundred years they knew he was coming and they had been awaiting him in the druid tradition for example they prophesied that the god that would come for the coming age, would be called Yeshu. Now, that's surprisingly similar to Yeshua, isn't it?
1: Definitely, definitely.
2: In the Zoroastrian teachings, Zoroaster prophesied, um, he said that he was the forerunner to the one that would come, who he called the Saroshant. Now, he said that the Saroshant would incarnate three times, and Jesus was acknowledged as the first of those incarnations, which would mean, if that's true that he would be returning two more times. And then finally with Buddha. Buddha, um, 500 years before Jesus was born, prophesied that there would come a great um, uh, being, a perfectly realized being, that would appear that would be the second Buddha. And during the six years that Jesus lived in Rajagira, where the Buddha was enlightened beneath the Bodhi tree, he was accepted by the Buddhist as the fulfillment or the incarnation of that second Buddha. And so those are just three of the five that,
1: you know, honored him completely and really got who he was. There's so much about Jesus that we don't know, so much that we think we know. And if you'll tap into Tricia McKinnon's latest book, Jesus, the Explosive Story, of the 30 Lost Years in Ancient Mystery Religions, you will find just a smorgasbord of information, part of which is talking about the Great White Brotherhood that weaves throughout this wonderful manuscript. The overarching mystical body that supported Jesus' mission and helped prepare him for it was the Great White Brotherhood. These keepers of wisdom, these profound light beings, have overseen the rise and fall of countless civilizations. From time to time, one of these enlightened souls has incarnated on earth to bring a greater balance to the world. This enlightened order is comprised of teachers, adepts, masters, holy sages, and avatars of every race and nationality, and from higher realms as well. Their mission is quite simply to uplift world consciousness and awaken humanity from its slumber. These enlightened beings, lost in legend and whispered about in rumor, have been the inspiration behind significant revolutions in the arts, sciences, and humanities. The noble Buddha of India, the wise Lao Tzu of China, the honorable Zoroaster of Persia, Greek philosophers like Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, and so many others. I urge you to connect to TriciaMcCannonSpeaks.com. That's TriciaMcCannonSpeaks.com, and find out more about this wonderful, renowned American clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has brought forth numerous books, CDs, DVDs, workshops and also is a clairvoyant and reader. Tap into her book once again Jesus the explosive story of the 30 lost years in ancient mystery religions. We'll be right back with Trisha McCannon Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave
0: Network. Have you seen Eleven Eleven? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
3: Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now.
1: Trisha McCannon is a renowned American clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has just written Jesus, the Explosive Years of the 30 Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions. This book provides insight into the times where Jesus disappeared, and many may not know where he went, what he learned, what he taught, what he discovered. It allows for a thread to be woven through time, connecting so many ancient cultures, peoples, and experiences letting us know truly who Jesus was and what he came here to bring to us. The Mystery Schools were based on three grades of initiation and built upon one another, the Lesser Mysteries, the Greater Mysteries, and Mastery. These grades are symbolized in the three-step throne of Isis, a metaphor for achieving the throne of enlightenment. A similar three-step process is also adopted by the Christian mystics in the three stages of purification, illumination, and perfection so much of what Jesus encountered was because of his support from the great white brotherhood. Trisha, who is the great white brotherhood? What what is that comprised of and are they around us still? What are what are what are they doing? How are they supporting us?
2: Well, indeed, the great white brotherhood could be said to be the the order of the sages and teachers and masters that have long worked behind the scenes for the upliftment of humanity. And they've had many, many different chapters throughout the thousands of years that they've been down here. But their primary uh, mission statement, if you will, is for the awakening of humanity, the spiritual awakening. And um, certainly there have been times when they've been more, let us say, overt on the planet. As I said, for 4,000 years before Jesus was born and some 400 years after his death, The great mystery schools were very prominent. They were very public. They were in many of the great uh, ancient civilizations like Egypt and Greece and and Persia and uh, the Celtic uh, lands, the Druids, uh, India. Uh, There were many different chapters. And as you study them, you begin to discover that there's a lot of similarities between them. Most of them did, as you pointed out, have the three steps of initiation because they knew that we were spiritual beings, but we had to integrate our physical, our emotional, and our mental bodies. Um, And those three grades you spoke about that were represented by the three-step crown of Isis, the uh, Egyptian uh, divinity that was considered the the mother of wisdom and civilization, the mother of of love, um, Isis, the female isness presence, I am, presence, is, is, Isis, Isis. That was that divine feminine. Uh, that the crown represented many things. It represented the throne upon which, hopefully, if we attain this higher consciousness, we will sit. Uh, it's this higher consciousness is an awareness of the divine spark that lives within each of us. And, of course, we feed that divine spark in various ways. We either feed it, you know, let's say, junk food, Uh, which would be like negative thoughts, negative feelings, negative television programming, negative actions, negative deeds, and in which case the light diminishes or we feed it positive things, positive thoughts, positive friendships, positive affirmations, positive um, uh, meditations or positive physical food for the physical body, uh, and in which case the light begins to grow. And the Great Mystery Schools were all about the evolution of this illumination. So they chose the name, the Great White Brotherhood. This is not a sexist or a racist term. I have to make that very clear in our <laughs> day and age. They were not the boys' club or the spiritual spiritual Ku Klux Klan. No, um, they chose um, the term brotherhood because it meant um, you know uh, brothers, uh, friendships. Uh, a fraternity and of course we read these as sexist terms today but there were male and female men and women priests and priestesses uh, of many sorts within these orders and the color white they chose because it was a color closest to purity the color closest to illumination and to the sun and in fact one of their great daily rites was they would choose moments, a few moments every morning as the sun was rising and then when the sun was setting to do sun gazing. They believed that there were certain codes and keys that were sent through the sun and that uh, not only stimulated the health of the body itself, but that could actually uplift or illuminate or activate this higher consciousness. They also knew that as we ourselves move through dissolving our emotional blocks and barriers that uh, lie within our, our physical chakras and we move the energy up our spine, eventually as we balanced the left and right sides of the brain, we would awaken this inner eye or this inner light represented by the third eye. And this is what Jesus meant when he said in the Gospel of Thomas, when you make the two eyes into one, then you shall see the kingdom of heaven.
1: But and you speak quite a bit in the book about uh, Jesus and um, his use of the sun and the energy and how he also did much of this. And it, it's very much woven through, in addition to speaking a little more about the mysteries, the You have wonderful diagrams throughout the book, and um, in the beginning when we are talking about the mysteries, you talk about the divine feminine, the lesser mysteries, the divine masculine, greater mysteries, and then what becomes mastery. There's so much talk about divine feminine right now. So with with those three in place, how does that relate to all of the conversation about divine feminine that's going on?
2: Well, you know, the Divine Feminine is definitely something I've been very profoundly involved in for about 25 years, and um, for me, like a lot of people raised in a normal Judeo-Christian society, I had never even thought to question some basic, let us say, assumptions that most of us grow up with. Like, you know, most of us are taught in the Judeo-Christian religion that Eve is to blame for everything because she ate that darn apple. But actually, you know, Adam ate it too. (laughs) So, I mean, it's equal culpability, if there was any culpability to begin with. And then most of us are taught that, you know, Adam was created and Eve's just sort of an afterthought because she's taken from his rib. And actually, at a biological level, every single one of us are created female first. And the release of the additional enzyme that creates the uh, uh, XY chromosome is a secondary thought, so that actually goes against what we discovered biologically. So I have long been a let us say a a teacher or a proponent of the importance of balancing our masculine and our feminine and honoring both sides. And Jesus, as we as we may or may not realize, but if you really study him, you discover this is true. This was a very big thing for him. Um, You know, that quote that I was giving earlier about the two eyes into one, the whole quote is more like when you make the two eyes into one and the inner into the outer and the outer into the inner and the male into the female and the female into the male, then you shall see the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling us right there that we must find a way to integrate these polarities within ourselves in order to attain mastery. And this is what the great mystery schools knew. As you've pointed out in the very first level of the mysteries, they were called the lesser mysteries, and they were, de- they were devoted to the Divine Feminine or the Divine Mother. And they weren't lesser because they were inferior. They were lesser because they were foundational. If you did not get this important foundational piece, you had no hope. And so what was that piece? And, of course, it's a piece, by the way, that's been left out of Christianity. Um, uh, we, we got the second level of the mysteries, which was the divine father and the divine son. And the third level is the integration of the masculine and feminine. So you see, if you leave out the divine mother part, the feminine, you can't get to the third stage. And that's part of, I think, what's happened. There is still great beauty and mysticism in Christianity. And if you, if you look at a lot of the gorgeous cathedrals uh, throughout Europe, the Catholic cathedrals, certainly they were profound mystics, whether they were masons uh, that were working behind the scenes, and that's one of the underground streams that inherited the mysteries, that encoded these profound hermetic images within the cathedrals, telling us that they were the inheritors of the great mysteries, but instead of sharing those mysteries with the populace or with the people who joined Catholicism, most people don't really have the deeper esoteric understanding of the depth of their own faith. And this is part of, I think, one of the things, the beauties in the book that I wrote, is because I am a, not only a mystic, a hermetic a, a symbologist, and also a cosmologist, I have um, long been aware of these hermetic symbols. And uh, we can talk about hermetics maybe in the next program, but these deep symbols are actually codes and keys that lead us into uh, a deeper connection with God.
1: And, well, and what you're talking about, Tricia, is so important because I don't think it's just in Christianity. I think it's in faiths across the world. There, There are... those in in their faiths that take things so literally as to what it's written. And then there are those that will be broad enough to allow for an expanded view. And I think that's part of where we all have to go is are we taking things too literally? Is there a greater meaning, a more expansive meaning? Are we allowing that side that is our masculine side and our feminine side to truly express and be acknowledged? Um, You know, we have to do these things if we truly want to get to that level of mastery, as you have stated. We have to allow the integration of both sides of ourselves of our limitation and our unlimitedness to really come together so that we can discover who we are, we can be that which Jesus said we all were you know that
2: you're you 're right at the heart of the matter, I think, Simon, because you know this is exoteric versus esoteric spirituality, and I'm sure not just in Christianity, but in all faiths, there are people who are literalist, and they're really just, they're literally taking everything at face value, and they may be very loyal and dedicated and have the best intentions in the world, and I have no doubt many of them really do, and they're trying to practice their faith but no one has given them the codes and keys to unlock the door to get into the deeper level of it.
1: Well, and I hope that you will join us for our next episode on June 3rd where we can hopefully unlock some of the codes and keys for you. The Mystery Schools communicated these sacred truths through what they called the right and left eye of Horus, another way of describing the right and left sides of the brain. The right eye represents the masculine, taught the grounded laws of cause and effect through mathematics and the physical sciences. The left eye symbolizing the feminine, taught students to create direct experiential connection with their own eternal natures. Within the mystery schools, this was done through meditation, ritual, and the use of ceremonial mystery dramas. The first step toward enlightenment, the lesser mysteries. The second step, the greater mysteries. The third step, mastery. Join me next time on June 3rd as we continue this wonderful conversation with Trisha McCannon about her latest book, Jesus, the Explosive Story, of the 30 Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions, you can connect to her website, com and order your copy so that you can keep up with us in the conversation. And we will go a little bit deeper into the travels, the mysteries, the hermetics, all of the symbology that existed through through his life and his teachings so that we can better understand that there is a broader, more expansive view of Jesus than perhaps we've allowed ourselves to see. Until next time, I'm Simran Singh. Be well.
3: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.